Good morning. Um, so delighted to be here. It's been uh, years and years. I think uh, I thought it was like five or six years when uh, I came up for uh, for uh, John and Jason's ordination in the old building. Uh, but apparently it's been eight years, so uh, time uh, really flies. Um, Greg asked me to share a little bit about me since I haven't been around for all this time, and uh, the church has uh, grown a lot since uh, the last time I was here, which is marvelous, and so most of you don't know me, uh, and so uh, I'm hoping to fix that a little bit today. But uh, let me d just tell you a little bit about um, my church, my family, and, and, and me um, I've been married to uh, the super cute Arden for uh, 36 years, which of course isn't any kind of world record, uh, but that's about 112 years in pastor's wife years. And uh, so she probably deserves some kind of medal. Um, even though she's 61, she's still a, a surfer. Uh, she's taught most of the young people in our church over the years to, to surf uh, which is kind of fun. She's quiet, she's artsy, she's a prayer stalwart, and she puts up with me. So that's all beautiful. Uh, my oldest son, Ross, is 31. He's an ordained Presbyterian minister. Uh, he's, uh, I'm not kidding at all, he's really one of the finest young men that I know, men that I know. Uh, he and his wife, Aislinn, um, are serving as missionaries and church planners in London right now uh, in a very poor, uh, almost exclusively Muslim section of East London called Tower Hamlets. Uh, they had served as missionaries in Bangladesh for two years prior to that. Uh, Ross is the only human being I know who speaks Bangla who isn't from Bangladesh. He actually speaks the uh, Bangladeshi. Any of you speak Bangla? If so, then... Some people do, no? Uh, all right, what, Jason, are you making, are you doing, doing something for me? Okay, he was just picking his nose, I think. Uh, um, sorry, Daniel. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna be nice and not tease anybody from now on just to keep him happy. Um, Anyway, I'm super proud of, uh, of my son and daughter-in-law and uh, what, they're, what they're doing uh, for the Lord in, in London. The, the sad part is that uh, my three grandchildren are Londoners and they're far away from their papa. Um, let me show you th these uh, couple of, oh, that's little, little Baird, but uh, here's a picture of my three grandkids uh, on the first day of school last week. I think that's also, that's like their band picture, maybe. <laughs> it looks like they're the cover of a band. For, and there's Nora and Silas, the older two, on their first day of school in their cute little uh, London school uniforms. So they're super, super cute. My daughter, Emily, uh, is a very successful businesswoman in Tampa. Uh, she and her husband, Devin, are not currently following Jesus. Uh, so we are uh, trying to figure out that weird tightrope of trying to love them wholeheartedly and also speak to them uh, about the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, parenting is not for the faint of heart, and uh, it's not always easy. Uh, but this girl is uh, my heart, 
and uh, love her so much and uh, very confident that the Lord is going to recapture her heart uh, going forward. Our youngest son is Tian, and uh, when T was three, he was an orphan in China, and he was uh, wrestling with cancer for the second time. Can you imagine being three years old and having had cancer twice? Um, and through some amazing sovereign God shenanigans, uh, we became aware of his plight, and we uh, offered to sponsor him in America while he went through chemotherapy. And we thought this would be just about maybe six months of us being like kind and Christian people to this little orphan boy, uh, but God had something bigger and better in mind. Um, Tian has always been like super relational. Um, and while he was in the hospital, <clears throat> he and I used to take walks down through the pediatric cancer ward uh, almost every single day. <clears throat> he would... Uh, um, He'd climb up on his IV pole and this rolling IV pole and he'd point to the door <clears throat> and I'd know, okay, he wants to go for a walk. So I'd roll him down the hall and he would just wave at his friends in the, in the different rooms and we'd go in and he'd give his toys away. And even though he only spoke Mandarin at the time, um, he uh, was always just, uh, just, love, just a lovely kid and uh, gave me an opportunity to meet other parents that are, were going through a very difficult time. I got many opportunities to talk about Jesus, to pray with people. Um, when your kid has cancer, you are really willing to uh, listen to uh, things about life and the afterlife and, uh, and hope. And uh, that gave me that opportunity. <clears throat> but one night, <clears throat> Tina and I were just in the hospital together. It was just the two of us. Uh, my wife usually spent time with him uh, there while I was working, but he and I were there together, just the two of us. And because of uh, the chemotherapy, he'd thrown up all over himself and everything really. Uh, and so I took him into the bathroom, stripped him down, cleaned him up, cleaned up the bathroom, cleaned up his bed, grabbed a, a, a fresh bunch of clothes to put, uh, put on him, and he had vanished. He was nowhere in the room. I looked all through, uh, under the bed, everything. He wasn't in the bathroom, and I don't panic easy and I was totally panicked. I ran into the hallway, had taken a deep breath to yell for help because I thought somebody had maybe abducted my, my, this little boy that I was responsible for. And there was Tian walking down the middle of the hall, buck naked, waving at his friends <laughs> and their parents in their room. And I know it may sound weird to you. It sounds a little weird to me. But it was at that moment that God spoke to my heart that this little boy should be our son. Tian is 17 now. He's a high school junior and he is cancer free and he no longer walks around naked. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> Praise God for small favors. 
Uh, as for me, uh, for over the last 35 years, I've been uh, just privileged to be uh, an evangelist, a uh, campus minister at the University of South Florida for 12 years, a youth pastor, and for the last 20 years, the senior pastor at our church in, in Tampa. We'd love to have you come and visit sometime. If you do, let me know you're coming. Uh, my wife and I'll put you up and, uh, and we'll show you around the lovely city of Tampa and uh, some of the most beautiful beaches in the area and a pretty dang good church. Enough of that. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's, uh, let's turn our attention to um, why, why we, we should probably be here today, and that's to uh, look at, uh, listen to the Lord and, and look at what he might have to say to us today. Um, I'm going to read uh, some verses out of Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. So uh, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, that's fine, or open up your Bible app, uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Let me d- just read those to us quickly, and, and then uh, I'd like to pray, and then we'll jump in and, and look uh, at these verses in a little more detail. Uh, in my <clears throat> little travel NIV Bible here, the title of this is Paul's Chains Advance the Gospel. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice." Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, thank you for uh, another day to gather before you, to worship you, to listen to you through your word, to, uh, to know your spirit resides in us, to rejoice together as a community. Lord, we love you. We love you with all of our hearts, and we'd like to grow in you. And so we pray that even today, uh, even in this, uh, these next couple of hours, that you might inspire, motivate, teach, 
uh, and grow us into your likeness. In Christ's holy name, amen. So uh, let me jump right out of the gate this morning by trying to say something important. Uh, One of the most important things in life is having good priorities and then living out from those priorities. Floating through life will just get you in trouble. I like this quote by Miles Monroe. He says, our life is the sum total of all the decisions we make every day, and those decisions are determined by our priorities. Now, everybody has priorities. Some people have a list, and they are very uh, intentional to live by the list. Others kind of go with their gut and the seat of their pants, but they still have an internal sense of priority. And we could probably come up with a a common list of uh, normal people's priorities. I bet I could guess what your priorities are. Let me guess. I think your priorities are probably your relationships, your money, your career, your health. But if we were to push the particulars aside, my guess is that many people, maybe most people, their their priority is, in a general sense, to live a happy, content, fulfilled, and joyful life. And that's fine. But if we're not careful, it's right at this point where we can get off track. Because so often, we, the things that we think are going to provide us with contentment and joy are simply the wrong forks in the road. They are traps for our souls. They are attractive dead ends. What we so often want are ease and prosperity and uh, a lack of any kind of contention in our lives. We want pleasant days and warm, breezy nights of pleasure. And any difficulty, any trial or testing is viewed as something to be avoided at all costs. But this is, simply put, not what the Bible or church history teaches us. And it's certainly not what today's text teaches us. Now, if anybody had the right to be disgruntled by their life circumstances, it was the Apostle Paul. Think of who this man was and what had happened to him. He's God's chief apostle to the Gentiles. He was well-educated. He was experienced. He was amazingly influential. He had founded churches all over the Roman Empire. He was used by God to pen much of the New Testament. And by now, as he writes these words today, he's over, he's over 60, a time when a lot of men are just looking to uh, take a break and enjoy the fruits of their lifelong labors. But what has Paul encountered in his service to Christ? We read a long list in 2 Corinthians. I'll just mention a handful of them. Uh, troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. He's already been in prison for two years without any crime on his part. He'd he'd suffered shipwreck on his way to Rome, uh, and he would almost died. 
And now, here he is once again, as he writes these words, in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And some of the local pastors are envious of Paul and they're trying to stir up trouble for him and in doing so, build up their own ministries. What do you think the what do you think the solution to this equation is? Faithful service. Can you even see these, these slides? Sorry, the, 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 this one wasn't working. Faithful service plus harsh life circumstances equals what? Suppose, suppose this is you now. You are a faithful servant of God, but all you're encountering is harsh, harsh circumstances. What does that equal for you? Does it equal cynicism? Does it equal anger or depression or frustration? Well, for Paul, the answer is joy. Now, how can this be? Faithful servant of God, only encountering hard stuff, and yet I'm joyful. How can that be? It's because for Paul, the top priority in life was not himself. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we see in verse 12, Paul sees that what has happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel, and that makes him joyful. Paul embraced a way of looking at life that came from the lips of Jesus. Words that might be hard for any of us who are a little affluent uh, and comfortable as Christians to hear. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. See, for Paul, the main question was not, what is happening to me? But instead, what is happening through me for the gospel? So here's Paul. He's under house arrest. He's chained to one of the palace guard 24 hours a day. And I imagine this seems like a terrible hindrance to this great apostle who's used to constantly traveling to minister. Maybe it's like a, a concert pianist whose hands are tied behind his back. Two years of inconvenience, of embarrassment. I mean, think of it. There's no privacy in this prison chained to a guard. Even at the times where you really need privacy, no privacy. And it would have been easy for him to get sad and sulky. But instead, we read in the very last verse of the book of Acts that Paul took this time not as an opportunity to pout or complain, but as an opportunity to preach with all boldness and without hindrance about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of seeing himself as a captive, he saw these guards as a captive audience. And this is no small thing. These guards were the palace guards. They were uh, what, what were called the Praetorian Guard. And the Praetorian Guard were the biggest and the baddest. These were the Marines. These were the Navy SEALs. These were the Army Rangers of the time. These were guys who were hand-selected to protect the emperor and keep the peace. 
These guys were worldly wise, they were rough, and they were very capable. I mean, you don't chain soft and timid guards to criminals, right? These guys were tough. But over time, these macho military men began to see something very different in Paul than the other prisoners. They saw his love for his visitors and their love for him. They heard his daily prayers and his daily praise. They watched as he wrote letters to, uh, of encouragement and correction to all of the churches that he was responsible for. And while we have to read between the lines, I'm sure that Paul showed care and concern for these soldiers inquiring about their families, their experiences, their hopes and dreams, and then sharing with them the good news of a God who died to take away their sins. Now, a lot of you are young. I like that. But I bet you're old enough to know that life is hard. There are setbacks, and there are roadblocks, and there are broken dreams. There's failure, and financial loss, and rejection, and divorce, and poverty, and struggles with sin, and there's illness, and there's death. And it's not unusual for such harsh life circumstances to stunt a believer's witness for Christ. But Paul's example to us is saying, don't let it. You can bloom wherever God plants you. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 2.9. He says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal but God's word is not chained. God's word is never chained in your life unless you chain it. Unchain it. Let it free. If your priority is you, then loving others with the gospel will likely never occur. But if your priority is the advance of the gospel, you will share Jesus in the sunshine and you will share Jesus in the storm. Even this word advance helps us. The, the word actually meant pioneer advance. Now think of pioneers. You could think of the early American pioneers perhaps. Pioneers know about hardship. They're out there breaking ground that has never been broken. There are no convenience stores or rest stops or paved roads. The Greeks would use this term for, with their military. They would send their army engineers out before the army into undeveloped un, uh, territory to prepare the way for the army to come in after them. I'll even go so far as to say this. There's a sense in, where, in which a church like this, a church plant like this, is a pioneer. Y'all are kind of pioneers, if you think about it. Like you're pushing forward. You're trying to do something that, that, that may not have been done in this area. You are pioneers advancing the gospel. And you should maybe see yourself as that. It's not always easy. That's okay. Because we're doing this for the Lord. Paul is advancing the gospel, even when it's hard, and we're to do the same. Paul's situation was very similar to that of John Bunyan. 
Listen, listen to this account of, of John Bunyan's life. Uh, Bunyan's preaching was so popular and powerful and so unacceptable to the leaders in the 17th century Church of England that he was jailed in order to silence him. Refusing to be silent, he began to preach in the jail courtyard. He not only had a large audience of prisoners, but hundreds of citizens of Bedford and the surrounding area would come daily and stand outside to hear him expound scripture. He was silenced verbally by being placed deep inside the jail. Yet in that silence, he spoke loudest of all to more people than he could have imagined. It was during that time that he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, the great Christian classic that has ministered to tens of millions throughout the world. For several centuries, it was the most widely read and translated book in the world after the Bible. The point is this, make the gospel your priority and be a witness in every season and every circumstance because it is right there where fulfillment and joy come for the true Christian. You can give your life to other things and you will find that it's fool's gold. This is where it's at. Now, was Paul some kind of superhuman whose special power was boldness? You might, sometimes people think of that. They, we think of, even the term apostle makes you think of someone who's like, like a super, super guy. He wasn't. In fact, he commonly asked, he regularly asked for prayer so that he could speak boldly. In Ephesians 6, he says this to the, the church at Ephesus. He says, pray for also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now listen, you don't pray. You don't ask people to pray for you to be fearless unless maybe you're a little afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but you do it anyway. You ask the Lord and you ask others to pray for you and then you step out into the mission field. You proclaim the gospel. We should pray for fearlessness that we might make known the mystery of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is job one for the church of Jesus Christ. We can never forget that. Paul's bold witness has a beautiful side effect. It actually emboldened the brothers around him to be more courageous in their witness. Uh, D.A. Carson said this, I really like this quote. He said, a whiff of persecution sometimes puts backbone into otherwise timid Christians. Now, most of you are too young to have, uh, to have been around at this point. Uh, I think I'm too young to have been around at this point. But in the, in the 50s, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, of these characters. Back in the 50s, five Wheaton graduate students uh, lost their lives in, attempt, in an attempt to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians. It was a horrible tragedy. They were all killed pretty, pretty sadly. But it had a, a pretty amazing and unforeseen result. Every year since then, and it's been over 40 years now, every year since then, 
an unusually high number of Wheaton graduates offer themselves to missionary service. Why? I think it's because of the sacrificial witness of, these, of the Aka Five. These students from their alma mater were encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly themselves because these five guys gave themselves fully to Christ and the proclamation of his gospel. And they knew it was dangerous and they did it anyway. As a young Christian, I had as one of my mentors, a guy named Greg Weiss. You've probably never heard of him. (laughs) Greg was back in the day and continues to be a fearless gospel witness. He was, uh, in, in large part, I attribute whatever success I had as a campus minister and evangelist on the campus, both to obviously the goodness and grace of God, but the example of this man. Uh, every day, I would remember, right? Every day we would, uh, uh, both me and, and Um Johnson, remember Um from Nigeria, can you imagine tall, gangly, goofball me, white as can be, and Um Johnson, black as night with a thick Nigerian accent, teaming up, going onto the campus and grabbing, grabbing students and saying, could we talk to you about Jesus? When you see someone who is courageous, when you see someone who um, really goes after it, it encourages you that it can be done in ways that are both respectful and kind, but also very bold. And, and, and I guess maybe that's mostly my encouragement uh, for all of us this morning, that we would be respectful and kind, but we would be bold witnesses for the Lord. Please don't disregard this calling on your life. Please don't set this aside. This is what we are here for. Maybe it helps us a little bit that Paul's word for proclaim here doesn't necessarily mean preach. You don't have to stand on a street corner and yell at people that they're sinners. This, this word proclaim uh, um, means ordinary, everyday conversation. Like you can do that, right? <laughs> of course, we all can do that. You don't have to beat people up. You don't have to preach at them. What you need to do is talk with them. Listen first, speak second, but speak. Speak the truth. Use the name of Jesus. Share the good news. You will maybe be surprised that people will listen to you as you listen to them. Paul will not be dissuaded by false imprisonment or harsh circumstances or the envy and rivalry of other ministers who are preaching the gospel with goofy motives. Look look with me at verse 18. For Paul, the important thing, the priority is that in every way, even subpar ways, Christ and his gospel are promoted. When that is happening, the heart of every true Christian should rejoice. 
Now there's the very real threat that this time in prison is not going to end well for Paul. There's every indication that he's going to die in prison. Even facing that, Paul shows faith and joy and encourages his followers. With their prayers, with God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, he says, He refuses to be ashamed of his position and he is sure that he's going to be delivered either back to ministry or into the arms of Jesus in death. He prefers the latter. He says that to be with Jesus is better by far, but he's convinced that the Lord is going to deliver him so he could help the Philippian church grow in their joy in the faith and that their time together would foster an overflowing joy in Jesus Christ. Now, in the very center of these verses that we read today is uh, the bedrock of Paul's life. And unfortunately, I think we've made Philippians 121 into a cliche. We quote it, we put it on t-shirts, we tattoo it on our bodies, but we don't always think it all the way through. And so I'd like to take a minute uh, today just to think it through together. Uh, Paul says, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's just separate those out for a second and talk about first to live as Christ. There's, there's some logic in, in this first statement. Jesus made you. Uh, he gave you the life that you have. And long before you ever came into existence, before the creation of the world, as Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose you to be his very own. He wooed you He regenerated your heart. He drew you close. He spoke words of light and life into your dark heart. And you were wondrously saved. And then he he didn't stop there. He gave you his spirit and he gifted you with all of the good gifts that you have. And he continues to love and, and anoint you with forgiveness and with grace despite your ongoing sin against him. We rebel and reject and disobey and disappoint him. And yet he ladles mercy and love and grace and strength all over us. For all he is doing and has done, we should be the most committed of disciples. Are we? To live is Christ. If that's true, your marriage will look like Christ. Your finances will smell like Christ. What you do with the hours of your day will be colored with Christ. Your work will have his imprint on it. Your thought life, your secret thought life, will be submitted to the Lord. C.S. Lewis said it better than I can. He said, keep back nothing. Nothing that you have given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find that in the long run, only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. How you view death says a lot about what you really believe. Yesterday, we were at a funeral 
uh, service. Uh, Greg and I have been mentored for years by a lovely man named Ray Nethery. I think most of you know, know Pastor Ray, one of, the, one of the loveliest men ever. 65 years of married to one woman, and she just passed away. And I had a breakfast with him the day before, and I asked Ray, how you doing? Like, how you really doing? And he said, he said, you know, I'm doing okay. Because if our faith means anything, it means that her passing into the next life is a good thing. And I rejoice for her. Whew. Whew. Of course, there are things in this life that, that tie us to this life. I, I get that. I would love to see my grandchildren get married. I would love to hold a great, great grandchild in my arms. To have to say goodbye to my wife would be so hard. But the idea Paul is putting forth is that there should be, for the believer, no fear of death, especially no fear of the threat of death to shut our mouths from proclaiming the gospel of, good, of the goodness of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the glories of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said, it seems to me to be the highest stage of a man to have no wish, no thought, no desire but Christ. To feel that to die were bliss if it were for Christ. That to live in woe and scorn and contempt and misery were sweet if for Christ. To feel that it did not matter what became of oneself if one's master was exalted. To feel that if you were a leaf blown in the blast, you would still be free from anxiety as you feel the master's hand guiding you according to his will. Though like the diamond you must be cut, you care not how sharply you may be cut, if in it you might be made fit to be brilliant in his crown." Are you willing to live for Christ? To keep nothing back? To be wholeheartedly and passionately his disciple? If so, if, if, you, might, if, you, if you might even deign to maybe begin to nod your head yes to that. If so, what might need to change in your life? What might need to be added what might need to be subtracted? Would it include being a bold and courageous witness? What arenas of your life need to find a new level of submission to the good and wise lordship of Christ? If, if the Holy Spirit is bringing anything to your mind right now, I would jot it down somewhere in here or on a piece of paper. What needs to change for me to live for Christ? Do you fear what others might think or do or say if you began to actually advance the gospel in your life? Do you fear disapproval or rejection or derision or maybe the loss of a relationship or uh, loss of a job or, or, or the loss of your very life? What price are you willing to pay to be obedient to the Lord? Charles Spurgeon, again, said this, 
where the gospel is fully and powerfully preached with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, our churches do not only hold their own, but win converts. But when that which constitutes their strength is gone, we mean when the gospel is concealed and the life of prayer is slighted, the whole thing becomes a mere form and fiction. Oh, church, may we never become a mere form and fiction. Instead, let the gospel of Jesus Christ be the center of all of our warm and deep conversations with others. Let him be our priority, our focus, our calling. It is time that the title Christian means something in our lives. Now, does all of this sound a little grim and onerous? If so, I've not done a very good job because it's not at all. This is the birthplace of joy. It is the fountainhead of fulfillment in your life. It is the steady footing of confidence for every good disciple. Now, no one can do this for you. But if you, as Paul did, desire to live and die well, your leaders here are here to pray for you, to encourage you, to correct you, and to try to be good models for you. Let me just say from me to you, you can live for Christ. You don't have to fear death or any pushback that you might receive from anyone if you are willing to be a loving, thoughtful, bold witness. We live and we die for an audience of one. Let's do so with great rejoicing and with steadfastness born out of our gratitude and love for our King, our Savior, our friend. Let me pray for us all to that end. Lord Jesus, we would like to live for you. We would like to advance your gospel in our lives. We aren't apostles. And yet we know that your call to go and make disciples is a call for every follower of yours. We repent this morning of allowing our circumstances to drive us into selfishness. Thank you for all of the examples in your word of faithful men and women who stood for you at all times and in every kind of difficulty, even the prospect of their own deaths. Grant us courage and wisdom and love that we might share the gospel regularly and well. Help us not to be fearful, but strong and fearless as we proclaim you in our families, our community, and any place that you might call us to go. You are the answer, and we delight to know you and to be known by you. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray with grateful hearts. Amen.